Welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast, where three guys who clearly make a ton of parenting mistakes share our experiences so you don't have to make the same ones. I'm Chris Roselli. I'm Mark Bagley. And I'm Nathan Dwyer. This week, Anne-Marie Reed returns to the show. She's a parent education instructor at Bellingham Technical College, and we're going to cover multiple topics with some short hypotheticals and scenarios. And then on Whatcom Dads Recommend, we share a local restaurant that might serve as a good spot to take your kid for a birthday dinner. Episode 19. Here we are, guys. 19 is kind of a weird age. So when you turn 18, no, 19 is weird. When you turn 18, all right, you're legal. Then you become 20 and you're 20 and then 21. But what's 19? 19 is just kind of. You obviously did not go to college in Whatcom County. Yeah. No, that means you get to go right across the border and drink beer in bars. That's what well, 19 yeah, gets. I, I'm not from here. And so um, I guess it's a big deal if you're in Washington. Sure. If you're at a border, a border county in Washington. For Western students, when the border was open and there was no pandemic, 19 was a huge deal. Chris, what were the name of some of those places that were right across the border? Yeah, there was uh, China Beach. There's China Chibokis. Beach. Chibokis. Um, there was, uh, well, there's some palace, I think. Uh, yeah, there was. I went to China Beach and Chibokis. And then I would go to like the Roxy in Vancouver. I'd go to different places in Vancouver. I remember, I mean, this is like, so 1998, I guess. Uh, like a Corona with a lime in it was super fancy. And you could get that in, <laughs> in Canada for a couple loonies. I mean, we just thought we were living the life up there. <laughs> when I went up for my night to mine, I was 19 and I went up there. It wasn't my 19th birthday, but it was my first time up there. I was handing change to homeless folks who are on the street. And I didn't realize until a couple blocks down the road that I had given away like $20 in money because of all the toonies and loonies that I had handed out. I didn't realize what I was giving away learning experiences. And there was always this fear that you were going to get pulled over into the lane to get searched on your way back in, but we hadn't done anything illegal. The drinking age was fine. The border people knew what was going on. But one time this friend that was driving our car uh, they said, what'd you go up there to do? And we'd gone to the clubs or whatever. And she said, oh, we just went up for dinner. And the border agent said, so why is there a stamp that says fill in the blank bar <laughs> on your left hand on the steering wheel facing me? And she was like, oh, well, we got searched that time. <laughs> so obviously 19 is a big deal up here. It wasn't a big deal for me, but obviously it's a big deal up here. So my apologies. So next week will be episode 20, and I thought we should take a little bit of time to reflect on what's been going on in the last year. So we're going to spend next episode on how the pandemic has impacted parenting and what the last year has been like. It sort of coincides almost exactly with one year from when things really started to shut down. But it sort of got me thinking, uh, now that we've done this for 18 episodes, are we doing a good job of not projecting that we really have this thing figured out? Are we making sure to remind listeners that we might be painting a rosy picture here on our <laughs> weekly chat, but uh, it's still a struggle and we're dealing with the same things that everyone else is. I say it's our podcast. We can lie all we want. 
<laughs> We're doing great, perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine, especially during a pandemic, there's parents out there struggling. I think everyone's had to adapt and just do their best. And I think my hope, I often say that we give advice on the podcast. I think we should sort of change that mindset. I think we need to offer tools, you know, um, tool. If everyone has a toolbox, they can sort of select what's needed in their particular situation. And if they have some education or insight on how to use those tools. But I sort of feel like when we say we give advice, that's being a little heavy handed, like you must be doing something wrong if you're not doing this. I don't think that's what we're trying to say. I think we're trying to offer alternatives to people. And then if you are struggling, maybe something else to give, give a chance. Yeah. I just like to think that we're offering experiences right? Things that, that we've dealt with sometimes rather poorly. Sometimes we get lucky and do the right thing. And I love having the experts that we bring on board because they're the ones who certainly know uh, much better than we do. And so being able to utilize our experiences, hopefully, and be able to ask the right questions can help some of our listeners along the way. Yeah. So if we say advice, we really mean eh, just some stuff to think about and use... <laughs> use. And if it doesn't work, that's great. It It's again, we've said it many times. It's not a one size fits all sort of a scenario. Mark, one other thing. Last week, you talked about taking your kids to the grocery store and buying the Matchbox cars. And so uh, this Saturday morning, I was up a little early. Five-year-old Benjamin was up a little bit early. And so I said, hey, Ben, do you want to go to the grocery store with me and grab breakfast for everybody? And so, oh yeah, that was great. So uh, I realized Ben had not been in a grocery store in one year. And so we've been getting our groceries delivered for the most part. We've been you know, going individually, Amanda and I. Uh, so uh, I took him in, it was pretty early. It wasn't busy. And man, just the kind of like the wonderment to watch a five-year-old walk around a grocery store, which he hasn't done for a year. He sort of remembered where some things were and was blown away that there was a bakery inside the grocery store. And we slowly walked along the seafood counter and looked at the crabs and the lobsters. And it was just like a great moment. And it reminded me that oftentimes when I want to have special time with my kids, like I might think, oh, we need to go to the trampoline zone or we need to go to a ball game. And gosh, just 30 minutes at the grocery store one-on-one you know, that one-on-one time was precious. The simple things sometimes are just as good as the fancy ones. You're so right. And and when Allie comes home, our 24-year-old, when she comes home for the weekend, um, she'll want to go grocery shopping with me still to this day because oh, it's just, awesome. just such fond memories for her. As we were driving home, uh, I had picked up some other things that we needed for the rest of the day or the rest of the weekend. And so uh, I said, are you excited to get home? You know, we got some donuts and sausage. And he said, yeah, um, but we're also going to have the salad and the ramen noodles and the pasta for breakfast too. And I was like, (laughs) what are you talking about? He said, yeah, you you said we're going to go get stuff for breakfast. And I was like, oh, (laughs) you thought everything we put in the cart was breakfast. (laughs) He took it very literally. Why shouldn't he have? So, you know, I had stocked up on butter. I had gotten popsicles. So poor guy thought, what are we, what are we having? (laughs) So I need to remember that for a five-year-old, you can't be literally, I needed to say, let's get some things for breakfast and some other groceries. All right, guys, I think we did pretty good with a listener mailbag question. I want to toss another one out there for discussion. 
This comes from our listener, Sean, and he writes in, and he's looking for tips on kids sharing and taking turns. And is being fair something worth attempting with the, with your kids? Or is it basically a losing unobtainable battle? So any thoughts on sharing and trying to make sure things are fair? Well, that's a tough one. I mean, sharing, yeah, you got to pay attention to sharing. It's, you know, part of the golden rule, isn't it? You know, treat others like you want to be treated. I think that kids have got to understand because all throughout life you share and you, there's a give and take. So spend your time doing that. Amen. Literally last night I was uh, painting my older daughter's nails, toenails. I was giving her a pedicure. Uh, And um, yes, I give my daughter's pedicures pretty, pretty fun stuff. And it's, it's terrible. Like I, I, there's there's polish everywhere and it's i just do a bad job but the nail polish remover that we used was Alyssa's. it was my younger daughter's and it became this issue of did you ask me did you ask if i could if you could use my nail polish remover no i didn't ask because you borrowed mine last time without asking me and so for me isn't it funny every parent knows of two children or more the the ongoing battle of, well, you didn't share last time, or you didn't loan something to me last time, or you didn't ask me last time. And so we had the conversation about how that that spiral needs to end at some point, or else they're going to be eight years old, <laughs> still still arguing over who, who loaned who what, and who never asked for what, and who never shared what. The whole question about fairness, though, that's that's hard. I mean... Sometimes it's going to be fair and sometimes it's not going to be fair. But how do you explain that to a, you know, a four-year-old or an eight-year-old or, I mean, a 12-year-old? Life's not fair, but that's a, that's a tough lesson to try to convey to kids. Yeah, especially young kids. We would, we would always, I feel like, try to redirect if something wasn't fair, you know. It's not fair. She got the, you know, the device for, you know, two shows and I only got it for one show and, and my response was always, oh, hey, well, how about you and I sit down and play a game together? And usually that would kind of end that um, pretty quickly. And so I would always try to redirect it a little bit as opposed to trying to trying to answer really the impossible question, right, about, you know, how do you make it fair? And Well, I think the important thing is fair does not mean equal. What is appropriate yeah. for my two-year-old is not the same as what's appropriate for my seven. So I think my seven-year-old. So explaining that each child is apportioned things based on their needs rather than just a complete, you know, the seven-year-old gets a bigger cookie than the two-year-old. The seven-year-old can have, you know, use of a electronic for longer than a two-year-old. So I think that might be the first thing is fair does not always equate to equal. But like you said, Mark, I think teaching them that life isn't fair and there are going to be times where they're disappointed, upset, or angry. And just being able to show some empathy to the kid and say, it seems like you're upset about this because, or it seems like you're angry because, and what are some ways that we can work on this? And so again, I'll advocate like I often do, let the kids do the problem solving. If you force them to share, they're not going to be able to think for themselves and do that as they get older. You're just going to continually have to step in. But if you can sort of sit back and observe what's going on, and if they're on the right track, you might guide. And there's going to be times you have to step in. But I really think sort of normalizing for them that yeah, sometimes things aren't fair. And I'm, it's 
I'm bummed out with you that this isn't fair and let's figure out some solutions for the future. And it just gets more intense. It seems as the kids get older and they get to high school and then there's things with friends and peer pressure and someone got invited somewhere and they didn't. And then you're really dealing with all those more mature emotions that are also hormonal. And then it really gets into some tough conversations it's it's not easy, but you know it, it's. I we Annette, I always looked at it. And they're all learning opportunities, and if you if you approach it the right way, it just helps better prepare the kids for when they're off on their own doing their own thing. And lastly, I'll add that on this topic of fairness, this would be a good opportunity to talk to your kids about things that aren't fair and advocating for fairness on social justice issues or other things that are going on in the world. So maybe using that as a jumping off point to talk to your kids about what might be unfair out in the world and things that they can do as they get older to sort of um, stand up for those things, which they believe are unfair. Robinson and Cole attorneys is proud to be a sponsor of the Wacom dads podcast. Located in downtown Bellingham, Robinson and Cole has been representing the injured and disabled of Whatcom County since 1979. If you or someone you know has been injured in an auto accident or suffered an on-the-job injury, call Robinson and Cole to schedule a free, no-obligation video consult with one of their five attorneys. Their attorneys have over 100 years of experience litigating cases against insurance companies and the Department of Labor and Industries. Call 360-671-8112 to schedule an appointment. Well, listeners, we're in for a real treat. We have our first ever return guest tonight, and Anne-Marie Reed has joined us once again. If you missed episode nine, she is a parent educator at Bellingham Technical College. Do yourself a favor, go back and listen to episode nine because she offered some great tips and tools for discipline. Each of us are going to take a, a couple of scenarios or hypotheticals and, and see what she would do with them. And uh, so let's just check in real quick, Anne-Marie. It's been 12 weeks since you last joined us. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. Hanging in there, looking forward to some day, hopefully relatively soon, getting the vaccine and getting life back a little more to normal. All right. So who wants to kick us off? Go ahead, Mark. Well, let's just jump right into it. So um, Anne-Marie, when we last talked to you, we talked a little bit about... um, punishment for kids. And you and I have a, a, a different philosophy, different style. I will say here for everyone to hear that uh, we did spank our kids. And I know that's not something that you um, believe in or think is a, a good way to, to discipline. But I want to talk a little bit um, about another form of corporal punishment and to get your take on it. So I was in the post office recently and there was a family behind me, a mom and two girls. And the girls were probably 12 and eight. And they were playfully bickering, nothing terrible. But I heard the mom say to the older one, if you keep that up, you'll be doing squats right here in the post office. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting philosophy for punishment is to make the kids do some sort of exercise. So I just wanted to get your take on that because it struck me as kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, I guess 
my first thought is I appreciate that she wasn't threatening um spanking physical harm, <laughs> right? So and this is a, if this was a 12-year-old, you know, that's um that it's it would be pretty hard to physically make a 12-year-old do something, right? Your parenting needs to shift a little bit because, you know, a lot of 12-year-old girls are as big as their moms. So um, so I'm glad she wasn't, you know, threatening anything that way. Cause I think that would have backfired. Um, I appreciate that she was trying to come up with something that, you know, a, a consequence, if you will, that might have health benefits for her child. Right. Um, the issue I have with that is it would have been embarrassing for the 12 year old to have to do that in public. And I don't think there's any room for um, embarrassment or being belittling or humiliating a child. So I would disagree with that. Um, The other part that I would disagree with would be, I like to try to make the, um, the consequence, if you will, be as related as possible to the infraction. And so it would be hard for, you know, how do you make this related? She's bickering with her sister. Well, you know, maybe if she was the one who was instigating it, you know, if she was, and who knows if she was or not, but let's say she was, that she was at at fault, um, then I would be more inclined to say, well, what could you do to do something to make amends to your sister, right? You made a mistake with your sister. How can you basically fix your mistake? So I would want to hold her accountable, but I would want to try to make it meaningful and related um, and respectful and reasonable, the three R's of consequences. So one of the concerns I had is tying a consequence or discipline with exercise. And in my mind, that could lead to exercise being a negative thing for that child, which I don't think is a good thing because you don't want to tie a positive into a negative. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And that I I immediately thought of that as you was describing the situation too. It's sort of like, you know, um, you say you have to finish all that broccoli before you can have some cake. Right. So making that broccoli all the more yucky and that cake all the more luscious and the same kind of a thing here, making um, physical activity a negative where, my goodness, you know, our society, we need to really turn that one around. We have enough problems with that as it is. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I agree with you. Okay. thanks. Yeah. I think we've all been in that situation where you're in the grocery store and something comes up with your kid. And sometimes I'm stuck between like waiting till we're outside the store in private to address it and trying to address it there in front of other people. If you don't address it there, people might look at you and say, Oh, that dad's not dealing with it. And I know that with my age kids, the sooner you do it, you know, it it makes more sense because they're not going to remember 20 minutes later when you're outside the store, but any tips just on, sort of how to either handle it in a public situation or remove yourself from the public situation? Yeah, it is hard. It's hard when you're in public because you do feel judged, right? And, um, you know, for better or worse, you know, people are watching you and some people are wonderful and just give you kind of a knowing smile, like, you know, yep, been there, (laughs) 
you know, there. you're doing a great job <laughs> or, or other people who are like, what is wrong with you? Right. I mean, really judging you. So it's hard. I think you have to take it on a kind of a case by case basis and by how you're feeling too. kind of your, um, your inner strength, whatever that it, whatever you're feeling in that moment. I mean, there definitely were times with um, my toddlers, you know, who were just losing it at the grocery store and there was no, you know, I might try to distract them and that just wasn't working. And it became very clear. We just needed to leave. And it was a consequence to me because I didn't get to finish the errand and I was really angry um, but it was clear that my kid was just beside themselves and we weren't going to get anywhere and we just needed to get out and have some space. So I think it depends on the age and kind of where you're at too. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, the bickering and of course it's, it's funny. That's one of the questions that I have is when do we intervene when our kids are bickering um, with one another versus, you know, of course, we, we like to ignore, so let them problem solve themselves. But sometimes there's that point of no return where it's like, all right, we need to step in now. And um, and so I would love to get your take. Lexi and Alyssa are 12 and 14. Mm-hmm. And of course, during COVID, the walls have gotten smaller and smaller in the house. And of course, we get shorter and shorter sometimes with the kids as we've been around them more. So I'd love to take, I'd love to hear your take on that. Sure. So my first thought, you know, when kids are having trouble getting along, when do you step in? In large part is going to depend on their ages, you know, their developmental abilities. I mean, certainly if you've got, you know, a little one who can't problem solve yet, you know, a toddler, you're going to be stepping in right? Um, You've got maybe a preschooler and a toddler, that toddler can't problem solve yet. So you're going to be stepping in much more. With your age children at 12 and 14, yeah, I wouldn't be stepping in very often. But there would be times, I mean, and you can, every family can tell, right? There's that kind of that threshold, that, that tone, if you will, or that thud, right? (laughs) That you know when you need to step in, right? And it'll be different for every family. Every family has their own threshold, right? Bottom line is it's going to be different for every family. I think as kids are able to problem solve, we should not be stepping in quickly. We should be taking our time with that, walking slowly, right, to the altercation. Um, And then really judging how much we step in. So I in as I'm a nurse and one of the things that um, I learned was you always you intervene at the lowest level that you can like you're not going to go straight to surgery if an aspirin will do right and I take the same approach with parenting so I'm going to start low and then I'll build from there as I need to so I'm with your girls I might say oh I hear two two girls who are having trouble getting along and just kind of shout that out. And they're old enough that, you know, that actually might work, right? I'm not going to say it's going to work every time, but it might. And that's, oh yeah, we got to ring it back a little bit. So yeah. So bottom line with your age kids, I probably wouldn't be getting involved very quickly. um, But knowing where that threshold is, if, if I felt like things were close to blows or if there's their arguing was getting very um, mean spirited, name calling, hurt feelings, then I might yeah. step in. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
So let's say uh, your child is dating someone who mom and dad just know isn't right and is causing behavioral changes or undue stress on your child because of the dating situation they're in, but they are so invested and think they're so in love that they can't see it. What should mom and dad do in that situation? Boy, that's hard. Cause so in your, so are you talking about college age kids right now? Or are you talking about high schoolers? High high school age kids. Okay. Okay. Maybe just, you know, kind of starting dating and trying to figure the whole thing out and gotcha. So they're still living at home and yeah. So I think, you know, when you're parent a teen, it, it is a bit of a shift in your parenting where you, um, I don't think you can be quite as directive as maybe you had been when they were younger. It's more of a mentor or a coached kind of relationship. So I think if I were to, you know, just flat out and tell my team, you know, um, this guy is no good for you. Look at how he's treating you. You know, you're just a doormat for him. Um, I don't think that's going to go over very well. (laughs) And if anything, that's probably going to drive my daughter more toward this guy, right? So I would be more inclined to just ask a lot of guiding questions. So tell me what you like about him. I know you really like him. Tell me what it is you like about him. You know, how do you think a boyfriend should treat his girlfriend? You know, that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. to hopefully help her discover it a little bit more, right? That that would be an approach that at least I would start with for sure. And then if I really noticed some things that I was really worried about, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it like that, you know, honey, I'm really worried. You know, this relationship I see with your boyfriend, I know you really care about him, but I look at how it's affecting you and how you are, I don't know, cutting yourself or not eating or, you know, whatever. And I'm really worried about that. And yeah, you I, would, gotta, I think you got to get to that point eventually where you're, you are calling it out by what you're seeing, whether it's yeah. emotional, hopefully not physical. I mean, emotional is terrible as well, but I think as parents, we really have that obligation. I agree. And, and, and some kids that may push them closer to that person who is not treating them well, but hopefully if, if it's a healthy family relationship, you know, there might be some tension amongst the child and the parents initially, but hopefully the child will realize, understand that the parents have their best interest in mind and possibly be able to step back and say, oh my gosh, you're right. I had no idea. This is now how I act or this is what's happening to me. So, right. Right. yeah. So I Chris would... is what you have this look forward to, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. It's great. It's great. <laughs> So I'd like to ask about something I've been thinking about since we launched this podcast. You know, we're sort of putting ourselves out there, providing tips, tools, advice. How do you make suggestions to people about parenting without sounding judgmental, making them defensive? You know, I want to help people, but I want to balance that with, you know, trying not to offend or or make them take a step back and say, oh, you don't think I'm doing this right? Right. And you are so spot on, Nathan. You have to be so careful about that because 
parenting is so personal, right? And people can feel many, I mean, I think if we're honest, most of us will second guess ourselves, right? Like, am I really doing the right thing here? And so, you know, we're kind of fragile in our parenting. And, um, and people are very worried about being judged. So in I really, really work hard when I'm working with parents to make myself vulnerable. So I share the mistakes that I have made um, because I know by doing that, that it lets everybody know that I'm not perfect and that we, this is a safe place where we can be authentic and we can support each other. So I think that's super important to that. That would be one way that you could do it is just, you know, oh man, I remember when that happened to me and I, you know, I did this and it was such a mistake or, you know, whatever. Right. So kind of um, just making yourself vulnerable. I think that's a big one and that helps put other people at ease. Um, And then some, so, and then I don't give advice unless people ask. Some depending on the situation, sometimes addressing the child is a way to do that that is a little less threatening for the parent. So um, I'll give you an example. I, I was at the grocery store uh, by myself, which was a minor miracle. And um, there was a mother and a little two-year-old, her daughter with her. And the mother was looking at some of the displays. Um, we were in line for the checkout. And the mother was looking at some of the displays right in front of the checkout stand. And the little daughter was below her looking at the displays and touching them. And she wasn't hurting anything, but she was touching some of the displays. And the mother got pretty, um, I don't know if she thought I was judging, but she got pretty firm with her two-year-old and slapped her hand and said, no touching. And I let that moment calm a little bit. And um, I really do think the mother was feeling judged by my seeing it. And so I, after, after the moment calmed, I just addressed the little girl in front of the mother. And I said, oh, those are really pretty things. They're hard not to touch, aren't they? And so I addressed the child. So it wasn't quite as threatening to the parent, but the parent absolutely knew that I'm not judging. And this is actually really developmentally appropriate that this kid was touching this yeah. stuff, especially since her mom was touching it too. So, but if I can follow up, Amory, what do you do though, if one of your child's friends doesn't behave appropriately at your home or if you have people over to your home and their kids are running wild and jumping on the furniture and do you call them out right there? Do you pull the parents aside and how do you, how do you do that? Well, Mark, I got bolder in my older age. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, so my, if it's my home, it's my rules. Right. And I can, I feel I don't have a problem actually just restating the rule for a little visitor who is over, right? So, oh, you know, in our house, we don't jump on the sofa, right? We use walking feet or whatever. So I just, I um I I just restate the rule, right? Um, and if it continues, which you know, some kids it will say, oh, you know, if you can't follow the rules at our house, I see it's going to be time for you to go home. And I'll do it. I'll follow through with it. So what do you do if it's a a party and the parents are there as well? So um, I might 
depending on the situation, I might bring my kid into it, right? So let's say, and this absolutely will happen. Let's, you know, so in our house, we didn't jump on the sofa, right? And I walk in and, you know, my kid and his little friend are jumping on the sofa, right? And little kid's parents are right there with me and say, oh, Matthew, will you remind your friend what our rule is about the sofa? And so I can kind of put it on my kid to remind him the rule, right? Which, you know, my kid knows the rule. My kid shouldn't have been doing it either, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, but that can be a way to hold them both a little bit accountable that way. And again, putting it on the kids in a respectful way, you know, without hopefully the parents feeling like I'm stepping in too much. Right. Or you can make them do 180 (laughs) (laughs) sit-ups. No, rock hard abs. (laughs) So, Anne-Marie, one, uh, how do we help our teenage daughters contribute more to household responsibilities without having to be asked? And I mean, Mm. uh, you know, they they do, and I'm not talking about like uh, cleaning their room or making their beds or doing dishes, but I'm talking about like just basic little things. Like instead of walking over their shoes that are in the middle of the entryway, to actually just pick them up and go put them away. So doing a variety of those those little things that are just the things you do to contribute to the household responsibilities. Yeah. And the teens, that's a that's a can be a difficult age when it comes to household responsibilities because they they're not important to them, right? And so a teen will do great if it's something that's important to them. But if it's not, if they don't buy into it, yeah, they're not interested, right? So I think this is that would be a time when I would probably use a strategy of a family meeting. And so, you know, not in the heat of the moment, let things calm down where, you know, your emotions aren't high and theirs aren't high. And then just come together and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I, we, you know, our family meeting, you try to make it pleasant, not, not a um, B-I-T-C-H session, right? Um, so something pleasant, maybe have a nice dessert out um, and say, you know, I've, I've noticed that things are being left around the house, right? And a bit of a tripping hazard. And it's, you know, it's kind of, it's, um, it wears me down seeing it, right? And so yeah. I could really use your help with this. Let's talk about this. What could we do to help each other to help the family run smoother? Are there any things that, that you would like me to do to help the family run smoother? And what are some things that you could do to help the family run smoother? So you really want to try to um, involve them, not again, not being directed, telling them what to do but letting them brainstorm and come up with ideas that you can work together and cooperatively. And then there'll be more of the buy-in. And by the way, listeners, we did actually uh, talk about family meetings way back in episode one. Um, and uh, and it's been really useful. And it's funny, Emery, that you mentioned the family meeting piece. I threw this question together and I asked Amy, my wife, uh, what do you think about this question? And Amy looked at me and said, uh, well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Look whose shoes Perhaps our family meeting is also going to be how I will do my part as well. We can all work hard together. 
Well, once again, Emery, this has been great. Um, I just realized that you were on episode nine and now you've been on episode 19. There's a pattern there. Um, <laughs> maybe we can continue this with a sort yeah. of uh, every 10th episode or so. But before we let you go, would you once again remind our listeners, maybe if they hadn't listened p- before, uh, the classes you teach and how they could sign up for those at Bellingham Technical College? Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, um, actually, registration is open right now for spring quarter. Spring quarter will start, um, I think it's the the week of the 11th of April, if I'm remembering right. And um, I teach classes, I teach infant classes. So this is where parents come with their infants. Um, And those classes for spring quarter are free. Um, And so we have a one to seven month class and an eight to 12 month old class. And then um, we have toddler classes, so a one-year-old class and a two-year-old class. I teach a two-year-old class. Again, this is um, parents and their twos. And then we have more than one, which are um, where parents come with more than one child, siblings typically, but not necessarily, or older preschoolers, because we don't have a threes and a fours class. So they would just come to the more than one class. And with the pandemic, Um, I'm doing it where we meet for a half hour, 9 to 9.30 for a literacy circle, singing and reading and puppet play, where I'm getting at a lot of social skills. Um, And then it's working really well. I'm just so impressed how well it's working. And then um, from one to two is a parent discussion time. And this is where parents have chosen the topics for the quarter. And we have a topic each week that we um, get into some depth with. And then parents um, in those classes also have an opportunity to meet with me one-on-one throughout the quarter via Zoom right now. Well, in our house, uh, my little ones are enrolled in the more than one class. And uh, on that particular day of the week, sometimes I come downstairs on my way to work and they're on Zoom with Anne-Marie and they're wearing, was it costume day or? Disguise. We were wearing disguises. Disguises. And uh, and my three-year-old's disguise was simply that she held her hands in front of her face. (laughs) She was, she was, she was hiding that way. So it's always a. It's always really fun that day of the week, day of the week to catch what they're doing on uh, for a few minutes before I head out the door. Yeah, so thanks again for fun. doing that. It's so uh, great, great for the community and our family has been big fans. So thanks again for your time, Anne-Marie. Of course. Happy to do it. Thank you for having me. This week on Whatcom Dads Recommend, we are going to recommend some places that we think would be a good spot to take your child for a special birthday dinner. We know that restaurants are slowly opening up and uh, more opportunities out there and many of which still offering outside service and a more reduced capacity inside. Let's go through and sort of indicate where the place is, what kind of food they have, what you like to order and what makes it a special spot. Well, the place that, uh, we would take our we've we've taken our kids to for a birthday dinner was uh, Chihuahuas here in Ferndale, and this is probably true for most any Mexican restaurant. But it's fun because they typically bring out the big sombrero and sing Happy Birthday to the person who is celebrating. And when you're you know, with little kids, that can be kind of fun, a little embarrassing, of course, but um, kind of fun. And who doesn't like Mexican food? You can always find something to order on the menu. 
whether it's just the you know the chips maybe some guacamole to a cheese enchilada to uh, uh, you know something a little bit more elaborate so that was always fun for us and then another thing that we did was uh, I think I mentioned this in a, an earlier podcast is we love going to Zing's Panda Palace in uh, Sunset Square because in their little side room they have the big Lazy Susan and you can put the food on the Lazy Susan and spin it around and that was always fun for Ben in particular to watch the food go around so those are the kind of two places that we would take our kids. So when you bring your family out to dinner uh, anymore it can easily be a hundred dollars to have dinner with your family of four Um, and so for us trying to find a restaurant that's got an affordable kids menu um, or something along those lines, uh, especially for like a burger. I'm finding that like a lot of hamburgers in town anymore with the side is easily $20 now for a burger and fries. And, uh, so anyway, we asked Alyssa this last week for her birthday where she wanted to go. And, um, she had two choices. One was El Rinconcito, uh, which she loves. We love, we love that uh, local Mexican restaurant and also Red Robin. And we ended up going to Red Robin and yum. you can get a yum <laughs> and you and you can get I got a Royal Burger, which is like their third pound burger with an egg and cheese and all this other yummy stuff on it. And it's under 13 bucks and then it's unlimited sides. Right. You know, so Alyssa gets their mac and cheese. Lexi gets her food. They made Alyssa stand up on a chair and everybody sang and they just make birthday uh, birthday kids feel super celebrated which we've always really appreciated about that place that's great yeah, we, we did that too that, that was a favorite for the kids too thanks for reminding chris that was always a fun place to go when when i was a student at western red robin was like the place to work it was legitimately like the where the cool kids worked that in the gap uh one of those two things is no longer cool so my kids are not quite up for this restaurant because it has scared them in the past. The Kyoto Steakhouse, which is Bellingham's version of a hibachi steakhouse, sort of like a Benihana. And you get the show, right? Your chef is out there chopping your food, flipping it over. Uh, Please, please, please get the fried rice because that's so much more uh, fun to watch get made than the white rice. But yeah, just... uh, (laughs) You know, they have family portions, they have kids, a kid's menu, and uh, you can share really easily. So uh, we usually go for the steak and shrimp and, uh, you know, plenty to go around. And if you get a good hibachi chef, he can really make a a fun time and, and make it special for your kid. Thanks again to Anne-Marie Reed for joining us today. And thank you to our sponsor, Robinson & Cole, Northwest Washington's premier injury law firm. There is a link to their website in our show notes. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. New episodes are released Friday mornings. Also, we are still looking for future topics and guests, as well as mailbag questions. So email us at whatcomedadspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us through our Facebook page. Next week for episode 20, we will interview a third grade teacher about remote learning. Our wives will return to discuss parenting during the pandemic, and the dads will reflect on our first 20 episodes. What kind of key can never unlock a door? Monkey. 
A monkey. <laughs> so alligators can live up to 100 years, which is why there is an increased chance that they will see you later. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, I guess continuing on the animal theme, why doesn't a teddy bear ever have dessert? Because he's stuffed. <laughs> and this is a, a write-in from our guest last week, Ross. What is the number one cause of dry skin? Towels. <laughs> A uh, good one, Ross. Very good, Ross. 